Welcome to the Get a Job, Here's How podcast, the practical how-to guide for women returning to the workforce, recent grads, and those looking to get the job of their dreams. Now, here's the founder of the Back to Business Women's Conference and your host, Katie Dunn. Welcome to the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. I'm Katie Dunn, founder and CEO of Back to Business and your host. I'm here to help you get a job, and I'm not just going to share advice on our topic in each episode. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it, because here's how are two of my favorite words. It's get a job, here's how. Let's get started. My guest today is Jeremy Schiffling, VP of Marketing and Training at Break Into Tech. Jeremy is a sought-after speaker on the business school circuit and elsewhere because he built a career development business that can help anyone in the world land an amazing tech job. I've seen him in action when Jeremy spoke to our MBA students at UNC Keenan Flagler. He's a fantastic resource for anyone looking to get a job in tech. And who doesn't want to work in tech these days? Jeremy's courses and trainings on tech careers and LinkedIn are used by over 60 schools and 10,000 students around the globe, from UNC to the Australian Graduate School of Management. He's been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, Lifehacker, Business Insider, and USA Today. That's pretty impressive. So Jeremy is not only a real expert in helping others land a tech job, he himself made a career change from being a kindergarten teacher to becoming a product manager early on in his career. Jeremy has worked at Apple and LinkedIn, among other cool places, and is now the principal product marketing manager at Khan Academy. Khan Academy happens to be my favorite resource for help with math homework that my kids are doing that I no longer understand, which is totally mind-blowing to me because I think we hit that point when they were in middle school. So I'm super happy that Khan Academy exists for many reasons, but that's just one of them. So welcome, Jeremy. It's great to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me on, Katie. Um, I love everything you did for your students at UNC and happy to help others around the world as well. Awesome. So to get started, I'm going to just ask you a few questions. First, I would love to have you tell the story about how you shifted your career from teaching into tech. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of a funny story. I actually began as a kindergarten teacher back in Brooklyn. And even though I was firmly rooted in the education world and still am today, I also had this concurrent passion that ran alongside my passion for education. And that was that I was a huge tech nerd, you know, <laughs> the kind of person who built his own computers or taught his kindergartners how to use PowerPoint running a classroom blog, things like that. I loved it. And so I tried to figure out, was there some way to combine those two passions? And one of the things I've discovered now having waded into this wide world of tech is there are so many different kinds of technology. You know, we always think about the big ones that we know about, the Facebooks and the Apples and LinkedIns, but there are actually thousands and thousands of organizations around the world that do education and technology together, like Khan Academy, for instance. And so I actually got my big break working on LinkedIn's education team not just helping others learn how to use LinkedIn, but helping others break into the tech world for the very first time and understanding that there was room to combine those two passions, education and technology. Very cool, because it, at first glance, you might think you'd have to choose between teaching and technology, but I love that you've been able to combine both of those. Tell us about starting Break Into Tech. Yeah, so Break Into Tech is in some ways my autobiography turned into a business. 
it came from this realization that everything that I had believed about tech when I was sitting on the outside, sort of with that kid on his glass looking in where the cool kids were, um, was totally wrong. You know, the idea that you had to be an engineer to work in tech or you had to have gone to Stanford. When in fact, on the inside, I've now seen that there are all sorts of folks from all sorts of backgrounds doing a ton of roles, technical and non-technical. And so I really want to share that story of openness and transparency with others around the world who are also feeling marginalized or feeling like they were stuck on the sidelines. Nice. I know in business school that break into tech is just considered a huge resource for students. And a lot of the blogs that you have up there and the advice that you provide and the speaking that you do, it's just so spot on. And students really have been able to break into tech following a lot of the advice that you give. You did it yourself and now you're turning around and helping everyone else do it. So I think that's awesome. So since you are a tech nerd, as you said, it's cool to be a tech nerd now, by the way. Tell us about one way that you see technology improving our lives that you think is very cool. I think that like even past that layer of education and technology that I was talking about, the most important thing that technology has done for me or almost anyone else who's been able to tap into it is just pure access. You know, we tend to glorify this idea of tech and AI doing everything for us. But I think the first most important step is just knowing what's available. And one of the things that LinkedIn did for me, as well as countless others, is show us what's out there. You know, for the first time in world history, you have the entire power structure of the working world totally open, not opaque. So for example, you might have been like me. You might have said, if I want to get a job at Google, I have to have gone to Stanford or Harvard. But now with a simple search on LinkedIn, you can find out that 8,000 Googlers went to community college. And you can find the exact one who went to your school and reach out to get your foot in the door, to build your own new old boys network, so to speak, <laughs> leveraging the power of this new access. That's very cool. I Around the time that Steve Jobs passed away, I'd read this article about how Bill Gates went to visit him. And Steve was ill and, and they had kind of been, you know, not always the best of friends, but the, anyway, they, they were kind of having this sit down. And they were talking about the power of technology. And one of the things they talked about what, and agreed on was that technology hadn't yet revolutionized education. And I think we're really seeing that turn now, although it was probably true at the time. But it really stopped and it made me really think about that. You know, it hadn't at that time really. We were using tech in the classrooms, but honestly, I wasn't always convinced that was such a huge value add. But now, like with Khan Academy, I think you're right. The access is the, is the difference that technology is making in education now. I do want to add on there that I think that a lot of that is driven by the darkest side of tech, which is tech's lack of diversity. You know, if you have people who've never been in the classroom, whether it's Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, for that matter, who are designing technology tools for classrooms, guess what? There's going to be a disconnect. But I think one of the sort of clarion calls that I want to put out there is if you are an educator or you're passionate about education, there are opportunities to come into the tech space and build better tools, things that actually serve students and teachers the way they want to learn, the way that they want to teach. And that's going to really push it to the next level of really transforming that space. Oh, good insight. I like that. So, all right, let's talk about your three steps to landing a job in tech. What was step number one for you? Yeah, so I think the first thing is being able to decode the, the alphabet soup of tech job titles. Because in this same vein of access, 
while you might know the company names, the Googles and the Facebooks, if you don't know BizOps from BizDev from CorpDev, if you don't know product management from product marketing management, you're going to have nowhere to sort of where to navigate your ship. And so I would love to give your listeners a little bit of a crash course that I wish I had when I was in their shoes. Yes, please. Okay. So I want you to imagine that Apple in Cupertino, California is currently working on the world's most amazing car. There has been probably a thousand articles written about this over the last decade, whether they're building an electric car or a self-driving car or some kind of car of the future. Whatever it is, this Apple car, if it is really being built, is being built by a lot of people who have absolutely no technical skills. And so here's the story of that car through those roles that anyone can get on the outside, even if you're not an engineer. Okay. okay. So now, imagine if you will, that you're Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, and you're trying to figure out, should I invest 10 or 20 or $30 billion in this huge, massive project? Well, you're not gonna make that decision on a whim, you're gonna look at the data. And the folks who are gonna help you do that are the business operations team. You know, these are people with strong analytical skills, strong presentation making skills, who can crunch the numbers and figure out, is there a market for this car? Is it worth building? So that's a great role, business operations. Okay. Then once Tim Cook gives the green light, well now Apple has a new problem. How do they actually build this car given that they don't have any automotive engineers? Well, that's where the people ops or people operations team, often known as HR, comes in. They're the ones that go out to Tesla and to Cruise and to Ford and to GM to poach away that talent and bring them to Cupertino. So that's people operations. But that's not going fast enough. So Tim says, let's speed up the hiring rate. Instead of just hiring one engineer a day, let's hire 100. And the easiest way to do that is not just to hire one engineer at a time, but to buy a team of engineers. And that's the role of corporate development or corp dev. Figuring out who are the startups in the space, who's got great talent, and then going out and acquiring them for the firm. Now you've got a whole army of engineers coming to work on this project. That's corp dev. Okay, the team is coming together, but what are they going to build? I know you're wondering this, Katie. <laughs> so this is where the research function comes in. And there are two great research roles for all those research nerds like myself in the tech world. There's the quantitative side, which is market research. So how big is the market for electric cars? How fast is it growing? But there's also the qualitative side. What does someone want in a prospective new car that Tesla can't offer or that Chevy can't offer? And they actually might do test drives with prospective buyers to really understand one-on-one -on -one what those folks want. And those are the user experience or UX researchers who focus on the qual side. Now, once, once those ideas are coming together, now that classic role of product manager, kind of like the captain of the team, so to speak, incorporates all this talent and all these ideas into a specific vision. Here's what the car is gonna look like. Here's what it's gonna be able to do. But the product manager, as central as that role is, can't do it all themselves. Instead, they need a team of folks to pull it off, including project managers. These are folks who actually manage the day-to-day -day of who's doing what, when is it due, holding folks accountable. If you alphabetize all your spices in your kitchen, you would probably be a great uh, project manager <laughs> with the incredibly detailed world of tech. Okay. Nice. I do so not. Who, who does that? I know. Do you do that? Me, me neither. <laughs> but I will tell you, I've been to some of these folks' homes and it's incredible. <laughs> they can do that at our kitchen. Imagine the kinds of technology products they can yes, build. Yes. Yeah. The world needs <laughs> people like that. That's good. <laughs> so at this point, we've been talking all about bits and bytes, you know, ideas on a whiteboard, pixels on a screen. How do we translate that into the real world? 
Well, that's where the operations and supply chain, supply chain team comes in. So for a company like Apple, it's actually creating real atom based products out there in the real world. These are the folks that are getting the assembly capacity needed, partnering with supply chains to ultimately make sure that all the sort of pieces and components of this car come together into a finished product. So if you actually love getting your hands dirty and building real things, ops and supply chain could be a good place for you in tech. Now, once these cars are rolling off the assembly line, then comes the product marketing function. This is the sort of critical marketing role in the tech space. And what this group does is they try to stimulate demand for this new product, understand the audience, understand where they are, and then speak their language in a way that has people salivating and lining up around the block to be the first in line for the brand new Apple car. That's product marketing. But one more challenge in Apple's way here, Katie, which is while you might be happy to buy an iPhone based on a beautiful advertisement, you're probably not going to do the same for a fifty or $100,000 car. You want to be able to test drive it. Absolutely. Only issue is Apple doesn't have any test drive facilities, let alone dealerships. So what they do is they actually barter with organizations that do have that. So in the same way that Apple worked with Singular and AT&T to have an exclusive partnership on the iPhone, Apple could have an exclusive partnership with, say, Hertz, to say, Hertz, you're in a commodity business. There's not a big difference between Hertz and National and Enterprise. But what if you had exclusive access to rent the Apple car for the first three years of its existence? And in exchange, anyone in the world could go to a Hertz dealership and test drive an Apple car. Now we've got a win-win for both sides. That's called business development or biz dev. That's a really great partnership building role in the tech world. Similar to biz dev, you also have a role that everyone is familiar with called sales, which is the fact that you might be able to sell one car at a time this way, but if you want to sell a thousand cars for a corporate fleet to Uber or to Lyft, you're going to have to wine and dine their executives. And the sales team builds those relationships and closes those deals. Two roles to go, Katie. And then we're going to have covered the gamut. <laughs> now, Apple has closed those deals. They've sold a ton of cars, but they got to make sure that the cars that are sold don't just sit idle, that they're used and they're loved, and they become a reference point for future sales. And the way the tech world does that is through customer success. Actually having folks that work with the largest clients to make sure they're having an amazing experience and they tell all their friends and they renew their contracts. So if you love having those relationships, solving customers' problems, customer success could be a beautiful spot for you. And then finally, just like this whole project started on a spreadsheet with the business operations team, it's going to end with the finance and accounting teams, hopefully counting up all those beans, realizing this incredible profit, and then Tim Cook can then share that great news with Apple's investors, bringing the entire cycle to fruition. So 12 amazing roles all across the tech industry, not one that absolutely requires technical expertise. Wow, that, that was a fantastic walkthrough of all those roles. So thank you for that. But you're right, really none of those require technical expertise. You're not actually coding software in any of those jobs. So there really is a place in tech for just about everybody. Returning to work after a career break? Let us walk you through every step of that process. The Back to Business Women's Conference on February 21st in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina was made for you. We've jam-packed into one day everything you need to know to get motivated and be successful in your job search. Register online at backtobusinessconference.com. Is Apple really rumored to be working on a car? That's what they say. They've gone back and forth, but 
I would love one of your listeners to follow one of these paths into Apple and then tell me once they're on the inside. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. So if that's you, then let us know how it's going. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. So first we understand all the different roles in tech and what's step number two? So step number two is to sort of filter through those roles to find the one that's right for you. Too many times people have come to me and said, Jeremy, I just want a tech job. It can be any old job. I don't care. I'll do it as long as it's in technology. And even though I had that same mentality when I was on the outside looking in, <laughs> what I realized is that's not the path to happiness. Just to say, oh, I work at Google or I work at Apple, but I actually hate the job that I do every day. That's not good enough. I want your listeners to actually find full career fulfillment by finding the right industry and the right role. And so the way that I recommend doing that, so think about the roles that I just mentioned on this big spectrum. Sort of close your eyes and imagine this vast gamut from very analytical roles to very interpersonal roles. So on the analytical side, you can imagine things like market research or business operations or finance and accounting is all about working relatively independently, crunching the numbers and trying to understand what's going on there out in the world to very interpersonal roles like business development and sales and people operations, where everything you do is with other people. It's all based on consensus and collaboration and camaraderie. And then of course there are roles in the middle, things like product management and product marketing that require a lot of analytics and a lot of horsepower, but also require you to work with others to bring those insights to the marketplace. And so if you can close your eyes and then reflect not just on these roles, but on your own superpowers, what are those things that you are better at than your friends, that you know in your heart you can just do so amazingly well and that you have a true love for doing, you should plot out on that, on that sort of spectrum where you belong. And that's that first step to understanding not just what are these roles all about, but which one fits you to a T. Once I pick a role, say, that feels like the right fit for me, for my skill set, something I'm really super excited about, if I look at the different companies how do I sort of evaluate and learn about company culture to figure out, well, I want to be a product manager, but at this company and not at that company. How do yes. you go about doing that? Such a good question. So what I highly recommend, and obviously I'm a huge LinkedIn geek, but I really recommend learning from the experience of others. You know, it's so tempting as a blogger myself to say, oh, just go read some articles about it. They're all out there on the web. But I think you want to scratch a little bit further beneath the surface to really understand what it feels like on the inside on a human level. And the easiest way you can do that, going back to that point about access, is you can go onto LinkedIn. You can say, no, don't just show me all the people who work at Google today. Show me all the people who used to work at Google and who went to UNC. This is my tribe. This is a safe space. And these people are no longer bound by salary or health insurance just to give me the party line. <laughs> they can give me the straight truth. And once you have those folks on the phone, you just say, hey, I'm considering applying to Google as a product manager, but I want to know what it's like. And you've been there. Um, you've walked away. You will now be able to get a straighter scoop than you would from any blog post in the world. That's a great idea because usually we think about finding the people who work there now and talking to them. So I love that you're suggesting to find the people who left and talk to them because you're right. They don't have skin in the game there anymore. And that's where you will really get the straight story. Great tip. We also did an earlier podcast on Glassdoor and spoke with someone who was an account executive at Glassdoor, and she talked about that being a great resource too. So I think you're right. LinkedIn obviously is super for finding the people and then 
Glassdoor will also give you some of those types of reviews of the company and what it's really like on the inside. Okay, so I've I've determined that I'm going to be a product marketing manager. I've found the right company, I feel like, where the culture is a good match for me. Then how do I actually, how do I get there? What's, what's yeah. next? Yeah. So if you want to sort of go from wishing to doing to cross that finish line into the promised land, you got to follow a couple steps. So the first thing, having been a hiring manager in the tech world, I know that there's this incredible bias against outsiders. This is probably true of every industry in the world, which is that if I get a resume and it's using language that's unfamiliar to me, doesn't match the language I use day to day, instinctively, in this tribal way that humans behave, I say, oh, this is an other, someone from the outside. And it's so ironic because I was that outsider just a few years ago. Uh, how quickly we forget, right? <laughs> yes. And so you can't rely upon the, the empathy and the sympathy of insiders. Instead, you've got to make it easy for them to see you as an insider or a prospective insider. And the way to do that is to take the language that they've given you straight from the job description and translate it back onto your own uh, resume and LinkedIn profile and cover letter. So let me give you an example. When I was a former teacher trying to break into the tech world for the first time, my resume initially talked about going to visit kids' families at the start of the year, understanding their challenges, helping them learn to read for the first time. But I realized if you're a recruiter at Google, none of this means anything to you. That's totally outside your realm of experience. So instead, I switched it up to use the recruiter's own language, like did qualitative research on my clients, improved client performance 27%. And before I knew it, I was sitting in the room as an insider interviewing for an insider role. So become the thing that you want to be ahead of time. Nice. So you take the language of the job you want and sort of apply that to things you have done in the past. As you said, translating. I think that's a great word to use here. You mentioned kind of the being an insider versus being an outsider. How helpful is it to have an insider there who says, hey, I just got off the phone with Jeremy. He looks really good for this role. We should take a look at him as a candidate. How important do you think that type of referral is in tech? I think the stats across all industries are that 40% of all hires in America are acquired through referrals, even though only 7% of all applications are referral-based, which shows you the sort of stark divide between how many people are just applying online but not getting anywhere and the relatively small minority who are getting referred and are actually getting those jobs that everyone wants. And that's doubly true if you're an outsider because you're competing with insiders for almost every job. And so on balance, you're gonna lose all those battles unless you get an unfair advantage. And what you wanna do then is again, go to a tool like LinkedIn, do a search like title colon marketing, company colon Google, show me all the marketers at Google, and then say, show me second degree. So even if I don't know any marketers at Google myself, I'm going to figure out who I know who knows someone on the inside. I'm going to say, hey, Katie, would you mind introducing me to Seth, who's a marketer over Google? And now through the power of social proof and sort of human relations, I have that warm intro to the person whose voice and opinion matters more than almost anyone else's. That's how you get a referral. Nice. All right. And clearly, I love the data that you have there. That really is what moves resumes from the middle of the pile to the proverbial top of the pile and kind of get you in the door for that interview. That's awesome. Tons of great information here. And I want to kind of recap those three steps. 
First was understanding the different tech roles. And you walked us through with that great example of the car and all the different people that contribute to that from the very concept stage until the end when you're booking those sales and supporting those customers. So love that example. And then the next one is finding the right role for you once you understand what those roles are. And that's sort of a process of matching up your skills with what the skills demand for that role. We also talked about finding the right company, you doing research, love the suggestion of finding the people who have left the company to get the real story. That's awesome. And then breaking into that role as sort of a process of working for the referral there and also translating your experience into the language of the person who'll be reading your resume. So I have to ask cover letters. Anybody in tech actually read cover letters? Do we still need to write those for tech jobs? Yeah, such a good question. So as someone who actually has written a book on Amazon about cover letters, I am definitely biased. But the reality is, is that it's a guessing game. There are some recruiters who are always going to read them, some who are never going to read them, and really do they advertise who's who. So I would say my simple rule of thumb is twofold. Number one, if it's a job that you absolutely must have, submit the cover letter more for psychological peace of mind than anything else. You never want to say, oh, I would have gotten that job at Facebook if only I had submitted the cover letter. Don't leave any money on the table. But number two, if you spend even 10 minutes working on a cover letter, spend 10 times that seeking a referral because the data suggests that a referral is that much more important than almost anything else you submit. So just make sure you're prioritizing your time accordingly. Ah, good advice. Good advice. Yeah, I like that on the cover letter. You wouldn't want that to be the reason you didn't get the job when it's easy enough to write the cover letter. You never know who's reading them and who's not. So rule of thumb, just err on the side of providing the information, right? Going that extra step. So excellent. All right, Jeremy, thank you so much. This is really a lot of great information and really geared specifically toward tech, which I think is such a hot space and everybody's trying to figure out how to get there, how to break in. So you can find Jeremy online at breakinto.tech. Is that correct? I want to make sure I got that one right. Okay. You got it. It's kind of funky, but that's my that's my website. <laughs> awesome. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and of course on LinkedIn. If you're serious about working in tech, especially if you're making a career change to get into tech, you have to look Jeremy up and take advantage of the great courses and resources he's created. He's got the formula, so don't fight it. Just go get it and do it. Thank you so much for being my guest today and for sharing all of your work with us. It was really great and I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Katie. And I just wish everyone out there tremendous success. And I hope they've learned a little bit from all the lessons I've learned the hard way. Excellent. So listeners, now that you know how to land a job in tech, go do it. I believe in you. Subscribe to our email list at backtobusinessconference.com for weekly job search advice. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. You can find all the information from this episode in our show notes at www.backtobusinessconference.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please write a review so that we can reach more people. Now that you know how, go do it.